Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is the podcast that's been helping you find your happy place across 200 episodes. Yep, this is the 200th episode of Happy Place, which is mind-boggling to me. It feels utterly surreal. It's all gone very quickly, but when I think back about all the incredible conversations I've been so lucky to have, I feel actually quite emotional and just massively grateful that I've got to spend time with so many interesting people who have luckily felt happy enough to share their story with all of us and really be honest and open up and and share their coping mechanisms, their pain, their joy and everything in between. It has been and hopefully will continue to be a total privilege. So I want to say a massive, massive heartfelt thank you to you lovely people for being with me over the last few years, for wanting to learn and grow as a person alongside me, for choosing to be empathetic and hearing about experiences that are different to your own. I wanted to do something a bit special for this anniversary episode. I want to give you a little bit of a behind the scenes about how we make the show, the aftermath of some of the important conversations we've had here, as well as let you in on some funny stuff that happened during some of the chats. So I guess the idea for the podcast first came about after I'd released my book Happy and I'd seen that this sort of conversation around mental health was really picking up pace and I felt really lucky to be part of it and... I was just getting into some really interesting conversations with strangers on the street, family members and friends. And that really led to the idea of making that into a podcast. I'd never podcasted before that first episode. Um, Obviously, I'd interviewed lots of people on the radio, but it felt like a completely different discipline. Obviously, like when you're doing a radio show, there's really tight time constraints. You can have maybe only two, three minutes to chat to someone and get something interesting out of them. But obviously within the time frame of a podcast, you can have, I mean, time is almost limitless. You can keep going until you feel there is some sort of natural conclusion or roundup. So I remember that like it was almost like spreading my wings properly for the first time. I interviewed Dawn French on that first episode, which, I mean, lucky me, I dropped Dawn a text. This is how sort of wonderfully lo-fi and almost shambolic the podcast initiation was for me. I text Dawn and said, will you be on my new podcast? And she texts back something like, I don't know what a podcast is, but... If you come to my house in Cornwall, yes. I was like, all right, win-win. So I got the train down to Cornwall and went to Dawn's house. We had this like wonderfully expansive, very honest chat. Like it, it felt really raw and honest. Uh, sort of sat in Dawn's office in her house. And then she made me a Cornish pasty afterwards. And I ate it in her kitchen whilst looking at the sort of grey sea outside. It was all terribly romantic and amazing. And a, a jolly good start, a fluky start. And of course, due to the fact that you lovely people have been listening to the podcast for so long now, we've been able to like really spread our wings and expand in so many ways. And we feel so lucky to do that. Of course, we've now got the Happy Place festivals, which I know a lot of you have been to. Um, The first was in 2019 and we also did this year in London and Cheshire. 
And they were just so beautiful. The energy was amazing. Everyone was having a great time. We've also started Happy Place Books, where we publish other brilliant stories, advice, expert-led books. Go and check them out on our website. As well as that, we've also got our Happy Place app, which really collates everything that I've learned over the last four or five years about well-being and sort of general self-maintenance and self-compassion. And we've just plopped it all on one app for you to hopefully enjoy and get some respite from. So we've got loads of plans, loads of more Happy Place stuff to come down the line, which we're really excited about. But the podcast was certainly the start of it all and remains the backbone of it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, now you might remember our episodes with brilliant people like Bjorn Nathico, Lynn Blad. Jane Goodall and Dave Grohl. I'll come to those in a bit, but I want to start with actor, screenwriter and businesswoman Jada Pinkett-Smith talking about the evolution of her marriage to Will Smith. You know, I think that the, the biggest nugget for me is the idea of emotional independence. A lot of times we'll go into... <laughs> I was talking to Will about this the other day and it was really a, a trip because we definitely went into the marriage with different ideas of what it was going to be. And I think everybody does that. And you don't really, you think, oh, we're getting married. So everybody thinks it's the same thing. Mm. You know, the two the two partners that are involved, you're thinking, oh, it's the same thing. We're, we're going for the same thing because we're getting married. <laughs> right? And then you, you, you go through the marriage and you're wondering how, why there's certain walls you slam into. Well, because unbeknownst to each partner, you're, you're in search of different things within the partnership. But you're continuously thinking you're in search of the same thing and you're doing the same thing and now you're in a confusion of why you're running into trouble. Yes. Right? And after being with Will all these years, we're going, this is 22 years for us. Now just realizing, oh my goodness, <laughs> we had two different priorities. Yeah, We were in this for two different reasons, right? So now it's getting more in alignment. <laughs> you know, us being in agreement of like, oh, okay, this is why we're doing this. Yeah. But then also understanding that while we're in a partnership, there's individual journeys. Mm -hmm. And my individual journey right now is emotional independence. Yeah. And recognizing that, you know, I think also we have incredibly unrealistic emotional expectations of our partners. And that one day, you just have to mature emotionally mm. and handle your own feelings. Mm. Cradle your own broken heart. Mm. Wipe away your own tears. Collect your own smiles. You can't expect people to do that for you. 
Oh, my God. Hear, hear, Jada. Honestly, I, I will never forget that interview. That bit really stuck out to me. Um, you know, she's obviously way further down the line in terms of marriage than I am. I'm eight and a half years in. But it really made me think, you know, when you... When you're getting married, it, it's all about the excitement of that and a new chapter. But you don't talk about it to that person, do you? The person you're marrying. I, I, I certainly didn't have that chat with Jesse. Like, what do you want out of marriage? Why do you want to get married? You just kind of go, yay. And then you go, let's have a wedding. <laughs> and then down the line, you're like, wow. And I think you also have a realisation, you know, you're a partnership for sure. But also you're an individual and you've got an individual mindset and past experiences that inform who you are today. And that's, I think, where you start having those chats. But also, like Jada says, you start to mature emotionally. And it's something that I've been perhaps more aware of now. I'm in my 40s and my kids are that bit older and I'm just starting to have a little bit more headspace to go right. What is it that I'm I'm feeling to have that awareness to start with? And also, what is it that I want? And and actually, let's talk about partnership. Let's talk about marriage. But I also need to be accountable for my own actions, my own thoughts and direction. And I probably understand what Jade is saying better listening to it retrospectively than I did back then, because that was a few years ago now. And I just think it's fascinating. And I also, listening back to that, think, God, she was so wonderfully honest in that chat. How lucky was I that she felt able to have a really in-depth, vulnerable chat about like big, big subjects. And I'll let you into a secret. When this one was recorded in a studio in London because she'd flown in from the state, she had a really hectic schedule. And I walked into the studio. She was wearing this magnificent bright yellow trench coat. She looked resplendent, just like utterly sort of glowing aura, perfect skin, beaming eyes, just like so gorgeous. I felt a bit scruffy that day, probably hadn't brushed my hair. And I I can do this to myself, a bit of self-sabotage. I thought, oh, God, she hates me. And she was being... Um, not cool, but she was just sort of a, you know, she never met me before. So she was just being professional. And I thought, oh, God, she bloody hates me. This is going to be a nightmare. And I think for the first five minutes of the chat, my job was really to gain her trust. Because why should she tell me about her personal life? She doesn't know me from Adam. Why should she open up and go into subjects like marriage and parenting and emotional turmoil? She doesn't know me. So I really put the work in to gain her trust. And I think I've always tried to do that by sharing a bit of my own story, by showing that I'm willing to be honest and, and talk about raw subjects. And hopefully, not always, but hopefully then that is reciprocated. And I, and I really experienced that with Jada, that we, by the end of the chat, I really felt like it was just two humans, you know, regardless of her status, job, whatever. It was just two humans sat having like a proper heart to heart. And Again, like, I just feel very lucky that that, that was the case. And oh, what an amazing woman she is. Now, on to actor David Harewood. He came onto the podcast to talk about an incredibly difficult subject matter, the psychosis he experienced as a direct result of racism and the way he was treated once he left drama school. 
Well, I split into two um, years before. Like I say, you know, in, in the book, it's it's that was my the first moment of racist abuse when the, I, mean, I, I was seven and the old man, old white man, I was playing outside my house. And up until that moment, I really hadn't had sort of direct, as I said, that, you know, people had shouted stuff at me and whatever, but, um, uh, you know, I sort of gr- grew up watching the telly, what, you know, I used to love watching the telly with my parents and seeing Dick Emery and Morecambe and Wise and the, all the Christmas specials, all those real, you know, dancing with newsreaders and all that stuff. It was all so magical and innocent. And, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I love this. I'm, I felt like a little English boy. And, and then this old man, basically, I saw him walking towards me and he, he sort of leaned in and said, you know, get the out of my country, you little black bastard. And it was such a shock to me at the time because I didn't understand what he meant. Get out of his country. And my little mind was turning, the wheels were turning in my head. And that's when I thought, maybe I don't belong here. That's when that split happened. When I suddenly thought, well, if, you know, and then, and then people telling me to go home or go back to where I came from, you know. It just, um, it, it, it sort of just unnerved me as a kid. And, it, it, you know, it, it would always just sit there in my head. What does that mean? Go home, go back. It just didn't, I never quite understood it. I never quite knew how to, how to navigate it. So, so, I, so I, I just sort of tried to make do and, you know, shove it aside, not think about it. And, and it was only, as I say, that's where I found my escape into my imagination. And then, and then when it came back, it just came back with a vengeance because it was coming back in the form of criticism of my performances and um, criticism of... I remember I had the worst review I've ever had in my life. I played, I played Romeo and um, it was such a, an awful review and very, very personal. I remember it said, it said apparently this kid went to RADA. Why did they let him in and why did they let him out? And it was, it was awful. And it was so bad that my director at the time phoned up the local newspaper and said, what the hell is going on there? And, you know, they apologised and said, you know, their normal reviewer wasn't, wasn't available, so they'd sent some, some third, you know, some, somebody else. And they, they said, you know, that he obviously wasn't, uh, had just, just went too far. But it was too late. That was already been printed and it was already online. And it, it was just crushing for me. It was crushing that I was being so dismissed and so, um, particularly having had some success at RADA and really looking forward to what I was going to do in my career. It, it, it just crushed me. And that's when I started to, as I say, these, these, these things started to come back up again. Oh, do you know what? It was bloody heartbreaking listening to David retell those stories of what he experienced as a kid and over the years and the subsequent psychosis that took hold down the line for him. He's been just so honest in retelling those stories 
and illustrating the pain that he experienced, which in turn, of course, has been so helpful to so many other people who have felt very alone in in psychosis and also if anyone out there listening has also been on the receiving end of abuse, hatred, discrimination. He really laid it all on the table and I'm really picked through it. And, you know, my job in that situation is very much to sit back and listen. And in episodes like that one with David, which again is is an episode that sticks out from all the others um, that I've I've obviously loved, but this one really sticks out in the last 200 episodes because I learned so much. I learned so much and I just, again, was privileged enough to be able to sit and listen to David retell these stories and work through some of the pain and the, the sort of scars that have been left from the just horrendous experiences that he's had. And um, and he was honest from the start. I remember when we... That one was on Zoom because uh, it was during one of the lockdowns and it's probably one of the episodes that I really wish had been face-to-face because you can't really um, comfort someone, I guess, in those moments. You can maybe do it through you know, just your eyes or even just the space that you give someone to really tell their story. But, you know, sometimes you do want to give someone a hug or just have a really nice chat afterwards. And, you know, you don't want to leave someone on a Zoom call after they've just laid their soul bare to everyone. So I wish that one had been in person, um, but still feel very fortunate that I got to have the chat at all. And yeah, as I said, it was just it was just a privilege to sit and listen to David talk and you know he'd said when he logged on that he was he was tired you know he'd done a lot of of talking about his book that was being released and to revisit very painful memories is obviously extremely draining and it's something that I never take for granted I don't feel I'm I just have the permission to walk into deep subject matters without asking someone if it's okay first, acknowledging that it's going to be very draining for them. You know, I'll, I'll never take that for granted. It's um, it's a massive deal for anybody, even if they're used to talking about painful situations. It's a big deal to go back there and to revisit them. So again, an episode that I'll never forget, that I learned from greatly. And I've seen David since, luckily, in the flesh at a couple of Prince's Trusts award ceremonies. And he's just a bloody good egg and an amazing actor. Oh, I love watching him on screen. He's just incredible. So a massive thank you again to David Harewood. All right. As I said, I like Happy Place to be a space where any and all emotions can surface. And sometimes that emotion is absolute unadulterated joy. I bloody love having a ridiculous laugh and so does one of my favourite humans on the planet, Dave Grohl. We were chatting about how he manifested a lot of his success without him really realising what he was doing at all. (laughs) Well, I mean, the craziest thing, and this is true, that there's a story in the book about this girl that broke my heart in seventh grade. Sandy. I love that story. Sandy, man. It's the first week of school. I saw her. She's the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, 
I must have Sandy. <laughs> so I asked her to be my girlfriend. We like held hands and like kissed by the bus for like about a week and a half. And then she was like, you know, I'm new here and I don't want to get tied down. This is seventh grade. Yes, heartbreaking. And she totally just destroyed. I was devastated. And I had this dream that night that I was on stage in a rock band doing a guitar solo at the lip of the stage, sold out packed arena of adoring fans. Just And I look down and I see her in the front row crying her eyes out. Just consumed regret. with regret. So much regret. She dumped me. She should have just held on. And uh, 30 years later, I play the hometown gig and I'm fucking on stage playing a lead to an arena of adoring fans. And I look down and she was right there, just like in my dream, except she was not crying. <laughs> or full of regret. No, she was looking at just me. She was like, You're such a fucking asshole. <laughs> so good but it's so wonderful that you and you you had this kind of mantra that you wrote in the book which sort of plays into this law of attraction and you say uh, what you think you become what you feel you attract what you imagine you create which is you know we've talked about this on the podcast with Rhonda Byrne who wrote The Secret and that amazing notion of being in that alignment and and then it coming into your life but equally we've probably all had times where we've been on the opposite side of the coin where sure. we've been stuck in a negative cycle and bad shit's coming our way. Right. Have you found that? Do you slip into that? Or are you quite good at getting yourself back into the sort of positive mindset? Well, you know, it's funny. I knew nothing about the secret or the law of attraction yeah. or manifestation until I started writing the book. Mm. Someone was like, oh, that's the law of attraction. I'm like, what's that? They're like, oh, it's that Oprah book's secret or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And so I started kind of researching it. I'm like, oh yeah, but no, there was this, there was a punk rock band from Washington, D.C. called the Bad Brains. And their whole thing was sort of based on what they called PMA, which is a positive mental attitude. And it, there was a writer who sort of came up with the concept years ago. And the whole thing was, if you can perceive it, you can achieve it. And I honestly felt that way when I was a kid. Like, you know, growing up with a, your mother's a public school teacher trying to support two kids. Like, we, I, we didn't have anything. Like, we didn't have – we barely had money to keep the heat on or the phone on. But we were happy. And so – I, th- I truly thought I could do anything. I sort of still feel that way, but I really felt like I could do anything. As long as I did it my way, I'd figure it out and I could do it. So I, I, I've, I've always had that sort of energy. And I do believe that if you put the thought or that energy out there, there is some sort of return. Like that seance thing I had yeah. when I was 17 in my carport in my like garage or whatever. I thought like, okay, I'm, I need to become a musician. Like I need to become, I need that magical thing that those other guys have. Mm. So I literally made an altar and sat down in front of it and prayed to the universe that it would happen. And it happened. And there's part of me that sometimes I'm like, did I fucking sell my soul to the devil? (laughs) Like what did I do? Oh, Dave. Oh, super Dave. (laughs) I think everybody that knows me, including my husband, knows that I am completely in love with Dave. Um, And I've been lucky enough to interview him many times over the years in my former life as a radio DJ and luckily now on the Happy Place podcast. And he never disappoints. Like He's the nicest person ever. So to set the scene on the day, 
I went to Dave, obviously. He didn't come round my house. He was staying at the Savoy Hotel in London, which is a well-posh hotel with the most glorious scenic views of the London Eye and the River Thames. And me and my team were ushered up to this gorgeous hotel suite. And to set the scene further, the night before, I remember so specifically because it always seems to happen on a day where I've got like a massive nerve-wracking gig. My kids had basically not slept and I'd slept in the bottom bunk with my daughter. And because I knew I had this big podcast the next day, I really couldn't get to sleep. So when I arrived at the Savoy, I was feeling like shit, quite frankly. And I got there and I made the mistake of having another coffee. You should never have another coffee. Just have the normal quota of caffeine that your body's used to. Don't don't have another coffee. But of course, I had another coffee. So then I started feeling a bit like a bit shaky and on edge. (laughs) Absolutely not the optimum feeling that you want before interviewing the world's greatest living rock star. Um, So anyway, me and my team went up to the room. So I was there with Sarah, who works with me, Anushka, who is the brilliant producer of this podcast, who you always hear me reference at the end of an episode, and Matt Easy, who is our wonderful cameraman who was filming it. So we all went up to the room and it was freezing. I remember them having the AC on so cold. So I was like sort of jittery on edge and shivering. And then I started to get those like weird, clammy, sweaty armpits you get when you're too cold. Do you know, is that just me? I don't, anyway, that's the state of me at this point. And I'd worn a really nice shirt, which was potentially getting sweat patches. I've gone too far. Anyway, Dave was in the next room doing a BBC interview. And let me tell you, they hogged his time, okay? They hogged his time so bad. So me and the team are sat there. We were meant to start at, like, say it was 1pm. It was the afternoon or 2pm. It was now, like, seriously encroaching on our time. I'm like, I'm going to go in there in a minute. And I'm going to halt this BBC interview on my own. Because uh, where is Dave? I want Dave. They properly hogged Dave so anyway I'm getting panicky about the time I'm a bit obsessed with time anyway I'm like I'm a Virgo I'm really punctual I like to do things by the clock and obviously this was I think Dave's last interview of the day because he was doing a big show that night at the Savoy it was a beautiful musically illustrated version of his book the storyteller with music and him talking and telling anecdotes so he had to go and rehearse for that so after happy place he was out of there so I couldn't go over my allotted time so basically the BBC I'm going in on them a bit here but they were eating into my time with with Dave my time with Dave okay So I was getting, and I'm jittery, I've had too much coffee, I've not slept, I'm freezing. This is the state of me. So anyway, eventually he comes into the room and he is a big personality. He's, as you would imagine, he comes in the room, he's got this amazing sort of energy and aura going on. And he's so lovely to everyone, like shaking everyone's hand, saying hi to everyone. Who are you? Hi, Matt. Hi, Anushka. Hi, Sarah. Just being amazing. And then we sat on this kind of chintzy sofa. I shouldn't say that about the Savoy. We sat on this glamorous (laughs) upholstery and I'm still sipping this coffee for dear life. And then I just sort of relax because there is, he does make it very easy for you because he's so lovely and generous with his just sort of energy, basically. And we had this just 
wonderful conversation. And I think it does make it slightly easier when you've interviewed someone before versus, you know, you've never met the guest and you have no idea what they're like outside of the job that you know them for. So there was a slight comfort in that. And it was just a total joy. And I left there totally high as a kite, buzzing on life. It was a shorter episode. I think it ended up being about 40 minutes, maybe even 35, because of the BBC eating into my time. But bar that, it was just a joyful experience. So thank you, Dave Grohl. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, as I've already made very clear, I literally could not do this podcast without you, lovely lot. So we're going to get back to some more podcast guests in a moment. But first, I wanted to dedicate a bit of time to you. You've been getting in touch via our Happy Place Instagram, at Happy Place Official. If you're not following us, why follow us? There's so much good stuff. Not just podcast stuff, loads of Happy Place stuff. So you got in touch to tell us about your most memorable happy place moments. And you've also asked me some questions. So thanks for that. This one is from Sarah Gray. My most memorable moment of the Happy Place podcast was driving to work, listening to the episode with Sonia Chiquette. And I was having a bit of a bad time after having two kids and just felt like I didn't know who I was anymore. You were talking about the dog inside you and Fern's dog Chihuahua called Paul And I was absolutely streaming with laughter. It was brilliant and it really cheered me up and made light of my down feelings. I got to work and this song came on, which was totally unexpected. And it's a song that talks to my soul. And it just was a light bulb moment that connected me back to the real me. It was very poignant and moving. And I felt what Sonia had been talking about was actually coming true. Fern, my question to you would be... What would be your biggest advice to give to a woman heading into her 30s now you have completed that phase in your life? Oh, Sarah Gray, I'm so grateful. Do you know what? I'll be quick because I want to get to your question, but it's so bizarre. I make this podcast, you know, very much myself and Anushka and our guest in a small shed in my garden. And I almost forget that people listen and really, you know, how these powerful episodes can impact people it it blows my mind so I feel quite emotional listening to that Sarah I'm so glad the Sonia episode helped you uh, and pull the chihuahua I would say my advice for anyone heading into their 30s is simply to remember or to know it just keeps getting better like my 20s were mental and then my 30s were a sort of big up and down affair and my 40s feel really nice and I think there's this fear for women of ageing and getting older and what it means it's bloody brilliant so just go with it and enjoy it and know that it just keeps getting better Sarah you're an absolute gem thank you for your message okay on to Anthony John Richards he has a brilliant memorable moment too for us Hi Fern and happy place. A massive congratulations on your 200th episode. We all love every edition, so it is really, really difficult to choose just one episode. But probably for me, the most poignant and memorable edition was the moment when Mel Robbins was a guest and spoke about the questions to ask when someone is either coming to you for advice 
or is particularly frustrated that day and for you to ask, would you like me to listen? Would you like me to try and fix it? Or shall I just butt out? And this has been really helpful for me, especially as I would always try and fix people's problems, even if they hadn't asked. And then my question for you is, has there been any particular guests that you've had on Happy Place that you've been nervous to interview? Oh, Anthony, I'm a fixer like you, my love. So I so get it. And Mel's words definitely stuck with me too. And... I just have to say I love your accent more than anything. My nan, Ruby Meredith, uh, was from South Wales. So I've got Welsh in my blood. Um, So lovely to hear from you, Anthony. Um, Anthony, I've been nervous interviewing nearly all the guests because I I don't walk into that space flippantly. I think it's a real privilege that I get to do this. So I'm nervous every time, but I was really nervous interviewing Hillary Clinton, almost sort of, I'm going to walk out the room, this is too scary. There were sort of security guards all around the hotel we were in. It was a big old palaver, sort of, you know, people from her team coming in and out saying, "Um, ETA, three minutes. And it felt very serious. And she was actually completely sort of normal when I met her, but I was absolutely terrified. There have been loads though. Brené Brown, because I'm such a huge fan, I was absolutely shaking my pants interviewing Brené. There's been loads. But Anthony, again, thank you for being such a lovely, dedicated listener. You are the bee's knees. Right, I love this next one, and we're going international. Hello, my name is LaToya. I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and my most memorable moment in the Happy Place podcast was the second episode with Don French, such a beautifully exuberant human who so many people across the world love, yet her jovial vulnerability and admittance of her humanness and at times, you know, her her failings, her frustrations and the way it made her feel was a real moment for me that cemented that I'd found the right podcast at the right time in my own life as well and um, that it was a safe space for me to listen and relate My question for Fern is what album or song soundtracks a defining moment in your life that you will always remember? Oh, my God. LaToya, I'm so thrilled that you're listening over in Melbourne. That has blown my mind and made my day. Please spread the word. We want more beautiful Australian listeners. Um... Latoya, thank you for your message. I, you know, I think we should probably start some sort of Dawn French fan club because she is just one of the greatest humans ever. And thank God she said yes to doing the podcast because she kind of helped me kickstart it all by saying yes. She's just a good egg. This is a really tough question about music because I'm obsessed with music and it's been threaded through my life. Obviously being a DJ for years and years and interviewing lots of bands. There is one special song and this could lean into sounding a bit cheesy. But when I met my husband, I had simultaneously that week discovered a song and a video by Lana Del Rey. And she she wasn't signed. She hadn't been played on the radio yet. 
and I was luckily the first person to play it on the radio, which was a beautiful moment. And it was that sort of same period of my life where I met my husband. So I was playing that song loads on the radio and at home. So whenever I think of it, it sort of whizzes me back 12 years ago to that like just gorgeous time of falling in love. I told you it was going to be cheesy. But that song will always be super special to me and I absolutely love Lana. Latoya, thank you for your voice note. You are wonderful. Now, a very moving memorable moment from lovely Amy. I'd just like to say that my favourite moment from Happy Place, which I've been listening to, it got me through a lot of lockdown. As much as it was a really hard episode, I think Ashley Kane's episode was beautiful. It was very insightful, impactful. Um, and I think it's, it's talk about, you know, how death is something that unfortunately we've all had to experience. Um, most people anyway, we all have to go through it at some point in our lives. And it's something we all share, yet we still feel embarrassed about it almost, about crying about it. And, you know, his story about meeting um, that gentleman in the, the cemetery when he was visiting his daughter and that man was um, visiting his dad. That had such an impact on me. I think it is, you know, I've lost people and it's horrible, but it's nothing to be ashamed about. And to bond over, I suppose, it's strange and it's, it's comforting. Oh, Amy, thank you. I'll never forget that episode with Ashley it was oh god it was so incredible to sit and listen to someone just so beautifully explain the depths of pain that he was living through I'll always appreciate Ashley doing that and I know that it helps so many people that episode He's just the most wonderful man and he's raised so much money for kids' charities since and done so many brilliant things. I'm I'm just, you know, really grateful to know him, quite frankly. And you're right, Amy, you know, it's something that does unite us all um, on varying degrees of, of loss. You know, we, we've all been, been through it on some level. And um, you're right, it's just great to, to hear conversations openly about it because it's obviously very tricky to navigate. You're wonderful, Amy. Thank you so much. And another episode exploring death, one that I know moved so many of you, just like Ashley's did, was with former forest monk Bjorn Nathako Limblad. When I spoke to Bjorn remotely over Zoom, I knew he had ALS, a progressive nervous system disease. But over the course of our chat, it transpired that he had already decided he wanted to die on his own terms. Three years ago, my father was given a terminal diagnosis mm. because he smoked since he was 13, so it was no surprise to him. So me and my brothers and my mother, we took him to Switzerland and he ended his life there because he didn't want to be, you know, put in a hospital for long-term care because that just doesn't suit his temperament at all. And so I'd been close to death in a very particular way with a very close person. Mm. And my father and I had this funny rapport where he's felt his whole life that when we die it's the end curtains blackness end and i've felt my whole life that of course it goes on into something else of course it's the end but it's also the beginning of something i don't know what it's the beginning of but i feel very convinced and always have that something ensues and so that's very alive with me so i don't know if it's shocking but I can honestly say on one level, I'm an adventurer. I've always looked for extreme situations, you know, like 
forest monk, bungee jumping, mm-hmm. marathon runs without enough training beforehand and whatnot. <laughs> so, you know, I'm looking for the edges of my capacity and what happens when I'm in that. And so to me, on one level, there's the sadness of leaving everything I know as my life and my people behind. But there's also a sense of adventure, like something is starting soon and I have no idea about about what it is, but I'm very, very curious and interested. Uh, Yeah. I wouldn't say I've acquired that attitude. I think it's just, I don't know, maybe I was born under a lucky star or something. (laughs) To me, it seems very lucky at this point in life. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's so moving to hear you talk about it Mm. thank you it's like there's so many preconceived notions about death you know I mean I'm sitting planning my own funeral now I've decided the venue I've decided who's allowed to talk it's a beautiful venue but it's not a church because I want to keep it a bit more neutral even though I'm a member of the Swedish church and always have been I've chosen a, a neutral beautiful venue and it brings me joy to think about it. And I want it to be, you know, I wrote this morning, I wrote some of the, you know, like you're supposed to indicate what to wear, you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, whatever you're comfortable in, but perhaps some glittery detail, you know, do you say glittery <laughs> in English? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's weird. It gives me joy to, you know, I'm making sure my testament is in place. I'm making sure my wife is financially secure. I have the possibility to give gifts to people for various reasons. Mm. So I'm setting my house in order. I'm, you know, death cleaning, if you like. And it gives me a sense of satisfaction. Oh, it makes me so emotional. Even, you know, just listening back to that. I've never heard anybody talk about death like that before with um i guess almost a a sort of sense of optimism a a sense of curiosity um it it was a game-changing conversation for me game-changing and i still find it i've ever so weird to think that bjorn is no longer here he he passed away a little after we had that chat and we put the episode out after he died, which, again, was, you know, very unusual circumstance to find yourself in. And he wanted the episode to go out after he died because, you know, he wants his, his message to live on and for everybody that knew him or knew his work to, to celebrate that. And it it was just an extraordinary conversation. And I, I feel maybe this is a bit, um, I don't know, maybe this is a bit grandiose of me to, to say this, but I feel like we had like a real connection in that chat. I, I feel like I really sort of met him. And, we you know, we didn't meet. We were on Zoom and he he wanted the cameras off because he at that point, you know, didn't want to be on screen. He was He was very ill. But I really feel there was a connection. It wasn't just sort of me, an interviewer, chatting to him and quizzing him about his book. There was there was just something really connective and raw about 
that chat. And my one of my old cats who was 21 had died like the day before. So I was feeling quite sort of raw and I was sort of grieving that and I was sort of thinking about death quite a lot. And I know it's obviously very different losing a, a pet to, you know, losing a, a human. But, you know, grief is grief, isn't it? And it was it was a really interesting time to to think about death and think about what is after death. And obviously everyone's got a very different opinion on that, a very different stance. But I loved that Bjorn had made a, a certain amount of peace around him leaving and it being on his terms, him creating this celebration, creating his own funeral that... You know, he had a funeral before he died, which was a big party where he did speeches and people he loved spoke. And he really did it on his terms. And and it was just really incredible to listen to him talking about it. And, and if you haven't read his book, oh, please, please read it. I've got it on my bookshelf. It's called I May Be Wrong. And it's it's stunning. It's a stunning book. I think about it all the time and like I say that conversation has and will forever forever stay with me we actually ended up talking for I don't know 25 30 minutes after we finished the episode because uh, I just didn't know how to say goodbye um and it's, you know, it sounds weird that I, I, you know, I do feel emotional about it. And I, I didn't know Bjorn prior to this chat, but I, it was just so strange to have had that amazing hour with him and then to say goodbye and to know I'm not going to speak to him again. I'm not going to say hello to him again or or get to chat about his brilliant book. It was a very strange notion to, I, I almost didn't say goodbye. I just kept kind of thanking him I guess it was really really special and I really hope that his family if they've listened to that enjoyed the conversation and I'm just so grateful that that I had that time with him it was a very very special hour of my life so let's end on the subject of hope I think it's a it's a good place to finish with some gorgeous wisdom from conservationist Dr Jane Goodall who spent much of her life working to provide a home and care for orphaned chimpanzees I suppose if you find out that you've been hoping for something that's clearly totally impossible then it's not very sensible to go on trying to do that but otherwise I think I think we need hope to live you know like when when money came to an end for studying the chimps or was about to come to an end, or, you know, this program we have to improve the lives of people living around chimp habitat, Takari, we call it. Uh, you know, you hope that your grant proposals or your visits to talk to people, you hope that it's going to lead to success because you wouldn't bother to do it otherwise. So hope is in almost everything. When you're sick and fighting illness, you hope you're going to get better. Perhaps many of us are much more hopeful than we actually think we are, because maybe we we assume that it's exclusive to optimists. But actually, you're right. If we are trying to do something, as you say, overcome illness or we're trying to reach a goal, even if we don't recognise it ourselves, hope is in there somewhere. Otherwise, we, Mm. we wouldn't bother. 
no, that's right. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You yeah. know, you wouldn't bother if you didn't hope. And, no. you know, the, the interesting thing to go back for a second to my early days, it was only when the chimps had accepted me that I could actually get this feeling of wonder and awe from the natural world, from the forest, because before that I was so totally focused on gaining the trust of the chimps, learning as much as I could through my binoculars. I didn't have time uh, to, to appreciate the absolute beauty of this forest tapestry. And of course, that's something that's kept me going. I, I keep the forest inside all the time. Mm, that's so beautiful. Um, of course, you've, as well as getting to witness such awe and wonder, you've had to face up to some really severe problems and challenges, all driven by your your passion. Um, for example, helping to abolish testing on chimpanzees in laboratories. And that's something, you know, reading it in the book, you could tell it was a seriously painful experience for you mm -hmm. having to walk into such a space and to see the beloved chimpanzees being confined and treated in such a way over the years when you've been faced with problems like that and you've actively wanted change how do you get the balance of focusing on a problem so that you can actually get into action to help and not dwell on a problem which could lead to a feeling of depression or a feeling of being debilitated well I think it's probably because uh, very fortunately I'm the sort of person who lives in the moment and if you're living in the moment, you know, there's sometimes when you're fighting to find a way to help the chimps in the labs, but there's also moments when you're having supper with good friends and to, to be able to jump from the real problem that you're working on to the little things that happen around you. I suppose that's just happened to me. I mean, it's no, no conscious philosophy. It's just the way I am. <sighs> Honestly, Dr. Jane Goodall is one of my favourite people on the planet. When I'm researching for a podcast, I often spend weeks uh, reading books, watching documentaries, researching online. With Dr. Jane, I mean, obviously I did a lot of research, but I, I was such a fan already that I was sort of bursting, like bubbling with questions things that I needed to know. I'd watched the documentary Jane on the on the TV. I think it's on Netflix or maybe it's on Disney Plus anyway. It's a brilliant documentary called Jane and I'd watched that some time ago and already before I knew she was coming on the podcast, I was sort of formulating questions, things I needed to know about her exceptional backstory and all of the care and attention that she's given chimpanzees and just the natural world in general. She's just one of the greatest humans and has done so much game-changing work and continues to. Her energy is boundless. Jane works so hard. She has an initiative called Roots and Shoots to get young people into conservation. And she's quite literally like changing the landscape of how all of us see the natural world and I will forever celebrate her for that very reason. And I think also just sort of talking about hope, you know, she's really pragmatic with how she deals with it. It's not fanciful or whimsical. It's really practical. And I like that being in the moment, dealing with the situation at hand. But then also, you know, she goes on to say later in the episode that 
she can switch from dealing with quite a serious subject to having dinner with friends and laughing with them because that's how we've got to live our lives. We've, we can be of service and be helpful, but also we have to enjoy ourselves and be with people we love and celebrate. And Jane just totally demonstrates the, that it's possible and that you can do it. And she's a proper, proper game changer. Oh, Dr. Jane Goodall, I love you. Oh, it's really mad listening to those clips, it, I, I sort of almost forget how much I've been allowed to do, how much access I've had to these brilliant minds and people. And I feel really bloody grateful listening back to those clips there. Grateful that I get to do this. Honestly, it, it, this is not like a job that I think, oh God, I've got to do a podcast. I feel so lucky and grateful to get to do this and I feel really grateful that you lot listen god bloody hell thank you if you didn't I wouldn't be doing it so thank you for listening thank you for engaging with the topics that we present to you each and every week every Monday thank you for heading to our Instagram to continue the conversation and thanks for you know really encouraging us as a happy place team to try new things like with the app and the festivals and the book imprint and all the other stuff that we're working on at the moment on our website and with our newsletters. I feel really encouraged by our lovely Happy Place community. So I've got to say again, a massive thank you to all of you for being part of that. We we really listen. We really listen to your feedback and we want to deliver stuff that's helpful. So we're always up for feedback if you want to share stuff with us, thoughts, feelings, your own stories. You know, we've got big listening ears. I've actually got quite small ears, but um, but they're they're good at listening. So please keep your feedback coming in. And again, a very humble thank you. So until next week, then a massive thanks to every single one of the people who've shared their lives with us over the last couple of hundred episodes. To the brilliant producer Anushka Tate, who I thank every week, but I need to give a hearty hearty shout out to because Anushka is absolutely amazing on the day she comes in smiling always looking wicked always got a great pair of boots on and is just so shit hot at editing and just knowing what everyone needs in terms of the finished product that you hear as a podcast so thank you to Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio and again thank you to you lot oh it's been a joy to have you along for the ride for the last 200 episodes stick with us so much more to come I love you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com